It's been wonderful to be in the Lord's house today to worship and sing together. Pray that our hearts are prepared and ready to hear the word of God today. I invite you to take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 6 this morning. We will also be later on in 1 Timothy chapter 3, so if you'd like to mark two spots, you're welcome to do that. You don't have to. We will stay in Acts 6 for a while, and then we'll spend another portion of our service together in 1 Timothy chapter 3. As we continue to look at what is the church, here is, as our series says, here is the church. Maybe you have spent most of your life in church, uh, to the ideas of church and what church is to be um, for, for a good portion of your life. Um, but it's important that we go back to the word of God and remind ourselves, no matter how long we've been in church, this is what God says church is supposed to look like and what we're supposed to do. At the same time, I would hazard a guess that, that many of us who've spent our lives in church maybe haven't been challenged on some of these things and, and heard as many messages as we should hear about what does a biblical church look like and what does a biblical church do. And so the last couple of weeks we have spent uh, looking at what is a pastor? What are pastors called to be? And what does God expect pastors to do? And so today we're going to shift our focus to uh, another uh, section of leadership that God has appointed for the church. And we're going to look at deacons, uh, who are God's honored servants. What is a deacon? And, and what does the Bible say about that? And what should we expect of that? Uh, we have deacons in this church. Uh, why do we have deacons? And what do they do? And I hope that this will be a, a challenge and a blessing to your heart and soul today. Let's pray and ask God's blessing on our time. Father, thank you that we can run to Christ in our lives, that we can rely and trust on you no matter what is going on. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to do so, that you would help us to live out the things we have sung today, and that we would cry in our hearts and lives that we need you and you alone above all else. Lord, we pray now as we open the word of God that you would use it in our lives to mold us and make us in the image of Jesus Christ. Lord, I don't know what is going on in the life of every person who walks through the door today. You know the burdens and the struggles. You know the desires and the needs. And Lord, you also can use your word uh, to address something in our lives that isn't even talked about in the message today, but you can put your finger on that which we are wrestling with and convict us of it. And Lord, I pray today you would do so. You would uh, have free, uh, a free reign in our hearts to show us who you are and what you've done for us, that you would show us who we are and what we need to, how we need to grow and change. And Lord, we pray that you would use this message today in the life of our church uh, to show us the importance of godly men who would lead in the area of being deacons what that looks like, and may we use that here in this place, but also, Lord, uh, there may be some, we have younger ones that are here today who are looking ahead to how they would serve in a church one day. Maybe you don't have called some of these young men to be pastors, but you've, you've called them to be deacons, or uh, they, we have others who, who will go out from this place and look for a church, or maybe they use the foundational truths from the Word of God uh, to select a, a church where they can worship you and be part of that body. We pray above all else, you will get the honor and the glory and the praise for all that's said and done here. In your name we pray, amen. One of the greatest truths about the kingdom of God is this. 
we who know Jesus Christ as our Savior are saved from sin to serve the Savior. In fact, service to the King of Kings is what the life of a Christian is all about. Sometimes misconceptions about the gospel float about and we hear things like, well, if you'll just pray this little prayer, then you can go live your life however you want and serve yourself because you got the free pass out of hell into heaven. And nothing can be further from the truth. In fact, the scriptures tell us that that sort of mentality towards salvation is a false mentality. The biblical writers, under inspiration of God, were adamant that such an attitude misunderstands God's grace. And in fact, we are saved from sin to serve the Savior and the kingdom of God. Within God's church, there are beautiful pictures of serving. We looked the last couple of weeks at pastors, how they are called to serve the flock of God. We see that believers are called to serve one another. And there is an office of the church that, beginning with its name, communicates the calling of those in that role to serve others in the name of the Lord. And so today, we're going to look at the scriptures at deacons, God's honored servants in the church. And we're going to see here today that God has appointed deacons for the service of the church in the advance of his kingdom, and he continues to call men to this important work today. The scriptures are timeless. We live in the church age, and so the things we read about in the church, they apply to us where we live today. God is continuing to call men into his service as deacons to serve the purpose of his kingdom, of advancing and growing the kingdom. And growth, by the way, isn't always numbers. We have this discussion at our house sometimes. Um, our kids, like, we, we pray for our church. And our children pray that God would grow our church. And we had to talk about what does that mean? Does that mean that we want more people? It means that most of all we would grow in the Lord, in maturity of the faith. And God uses deacons in this way to help grow his church. And so we're going to look today at just this few passages that mention this and what does it mean for our lives today. We're going to begin today in Acts chapter 6. And we're going to talk about this idea of service in the early church. In Acts chapter 6, we look at, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7. Um, but we're going to kind of take it in chunks here. Okay, So as we look at service in the early church, and, and we're in Acts chapter 6, the first thing you're going to notice is that there is a problem that has developed in the early church. It says, now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So as we... Again, as we approach Acts 6, you're in the the formative days of the church here in Jerusalem. The apostles are carrying out the mission that was entrusted to them by Jesus before his ascension. And what you learn in Acts is that Jesus is keeping his promise that we talked about at the very foundational message of this series, that he would grow his church, and he has indeed done that in the city of Jerusalem thus far. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 were saved. And we read that, that daily more were being added to the church. The church is quite large at this point there in Jerusalem. And as the church continues to grow and seeks to establish herself, 
problems arise. And that's not unexpected. Okay? And here's the secret. Wherever there are people, there are problems. Okay? Many a pastor has said that pastoring would be wonderful if it wasn't for the people. Right? And whenever you get people together, you're going to have problems. Right? I don't know about you, but I'm a people, and I am a sinful person, and I cause problems, right? Don't amen that too loud, okay? (laughs) And so here, within the church at Jerusalem, there are problems with the people there. Because Satan is ever interested in the work of the church, and if he cannot destroy it from without, he will attack it from within. And as you go through the first part of Acts, it's actually quite interesting here. In Acts chapter 4, you have the persecution that they face. In Acts chapter 5, you have Ananias and Sapphira and the lies that they told. And now here in Acts chapter 6, you have again a problem developing within the church between these two groups of people. The particular problem here is that there were certain widows who are being neglected in the ministries of the church. There are two groups of widows. There are the Hellenists, those who may have grown up particularly in the, in the diaspora outside of Israel, and they speak Greek. They're, they're Israelites, but they've embraced this Greek way of life, thus they're called Hellenists. And then you have those who are native Hebrews, who, who probably speak Greek and also Hebrew. And outside of the church, there are tensions between these two groups, and it seems that it has leaked over inside the church. And so the church has taken upon itself the ministry of caring for these widows as Christ commanded. And as a ministry of serving them in the name of the Lord, the church helped to provide for them. And whether on purpose or because of the scope of the ministry that was growing, we find out that these particular, these particular women, these Hellenists, are being left out of the daily distribution to help with their needs. That may have been money or food or other things. And so the 12 apostles, the original disciples, and and that means, by the way, you have the 11 plus Matthias, who was chosen at the very beginning of Acts. You go back and read that. Whom Jesus appointed there as these apostles to establish the church, they call everyone together to address the problem. And, And here's the gist of it. These 12 men cannot possibly handle everything that goes on in the church. They cannot carry out every ministry and every work of the church. They declare, in fact, that it is not right that they give up the ministry of preaching of the word of God, they say, in order to serve tables. And this is talking about serving those widows by distributing these things. Literally, that's, that's the idea here. Now, Is this because the apostles were royalty and high and mighty and their noses were stuck up so far in the air when it rained they would drown and so therefore they didn't do that? No. It's a matter of priorities. Jesus had given to them the ministry of establishing church of preaching the gospel, of going and making disciples as he's given to all disciples, but particularly these men were to give themselves to the preaching, the ministry of the word, the prayer, and we see that here. That they are to devote themselves to this. There are in a way, we could say it this way. These men were becoming, they weren't really you know, pastors maybe in a sense yet, but they were becoming the first pastors of the churches here. And there are things, if we could go back to what we said last week as we come into this message, there are certain things that only pastors can do, right? There are certain things that pastors are, are supposed to do and are called on by God. These men are, there's only, there's certain things that only they can do. And so it wasn't right for them to prioritize their time to go serve tables when instead they should be ministering the word and and praying and and doing things God had called them to do. 
And so, as they carried out their commission from Jesus to fulfill, they are seeking to empower others to be involved in the ministries of the church. And so in verses 3 through 7, we see briefly here the solution that, that they come up with. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So the twelve apostles say, here's what we think we should do. You, the church, need to choose out seven men who would oversee this ministry that's going on to the widows. Now, again, I would argue that certainly these are not the only seven men that are going to be involved. As the church is growing, some estimate there could be as many as 20,000 believers in Jerusalem at this point. But these men are going to have charge over this ministry to distribute these things, to minister these things, and, and maybe even have others be involved with them. They would be responsible for it. They would be servants to God's people. So therefore, the disciples say, the apostles say, these should be godly men. They are to be men, the scriptures tell us, of good repute. That is, the testimony of their lives is honorable, and it gives a good report of them. They must be trustworthy to carry out this important, very practical mission. This would allow then the the apostles to fulfill the ministry God has appointed for them. And so these people, the the people, the disciples there, they agree to this, and we see the men who are chosen. I'm not going to go back and and read through that, but you can see those names. And I will make an interesting note here. It is interesting that when you read those names, it's very possible, by the way, all seven of these guys were Hellenists. They weren't native Hebrews. It's an interesting thing. They hear they have this issue, and they, they get these men who are Hellenists, and they say, hey, we want you to be a part of the this ministry of the church to serve the people of the church. They were men who were godly, whom the apostles trusted to serve in this capacity. In in particular, one is pointed out in Stephen. He's a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Stephen will be called out in greater detail later as he is one who stands up in boldness for the Lord and is martyred for the cause of Christ. But we understand these men were clearly committed to the work of God. They were undeniably trustworthy. They had to be. They were then commissioned by the apostles and went to the work. And we see then in verse 7, what is the result of what they do? Well, God blesses the work and the church continues to grow. I want you to see here what I told you a minute ago. That, that here is a problem that arises in a church. A problem that poses a great threat to the people there. And these men come in to serve in a godly way, and we see that this problem turns into, seems to to go away, so to speak. It turns instead to an opportunity for the gospel to continue to advance. That's how we know the Lord is honored in what is done here. Now, why do we bring this passage up in Acts chapter 6? Well, the question is, are these men the first deacons of the church? Traditionally, 
this passage is held in that regard, that this is the first appearance of the office of deacon in the church, particularly because the word from which we get deacon derives from which it derives, it's present in this passage when it says that they, were to, that they should not give up serving tables. That's the word from which we get the word deacon. Now, throughout my life, this has been my basic understanding of this passage. However, as I studied this passage this week and reviewed it more in depth, I am not convinced that this passage is talking about the official office of the deacon. I'm going to explain that in just a second. This seems to me to be a solution to a more immediate problem. Hey, we got, a, we got a big need going on in the church. We need to find these men who can help us meet that. I don't think this is necessarily the establishment of an entire office for the church. And the reason, one of the biggest reasons you say that is, I say that is because you go throughout the book of Acts and you see in these, in, these, in these churches that are planted, they're not talking about immediately these deacons coming in. You would think that if this was the establishment of an office, you would see more of a prevalence of that in the passages that follow. The early church is relying on the Lord, seeking to meet the needs that continue to arise. I don't know that they went on from here to make this a particular position in, in every local church that was established. However, okay, now here's the explanation at the same time. I believe that the principles that are applied here and what we we'll see in the passage later on are applied to the office of deacon. The word that we know to be deacon, as we said, comes from a word referring to the service of tables. Therefore, I don't think it's illegitimate to say that the way in which deacons function in the church is first illustrated by these men in this passage. Maybe you could say it this way. This is the way I've come to understand this passage as I studied this week. I feel like these men are kind of the prototype of what the deacon would become in the church. Does that make sense? The way in which they were recognized here by the church as fitting of this role was also very informative. And it's interesting. As you go to the New Testament, because if you've, again, if you've grown up in church, perhaps your church has always had deacons, right? How many of you have been in a church most of your life that have had deacons in your church? Okay. Did you know the New Testament is surprisingly sparse when it talks about deacons? You have this Acts chapter 6 passage, which talks about these men serving. You have a verse in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, where it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the overseers and deacons. And then you have one other passage in the New Testament, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, where deacons are officially recognized. It doesn't mean that the New Testament doesn't think they're important, or that just because they're silent doesn't mean, it's a, it doesn't mean that it's not silent. In fact, the Bible is quite clear that not only is this an official office of the local church, but it also comes with qualifications. Like the men chosen in Acts chapter 6, who stood in the gap and made a difference for the Lord, those who would serve the Lord in this capacity in his church must meet God's standards. So we're going to spend the rest of our time today in 1 Timothy chapter 3. If you haven't turned there already, I invite you to do so. And we're going to look at, first of all, then what are the qualifications of a deacon? Because though, as we said, the New Testament uh, doesn't refer to deacons specifically outside of, of a couple of passages, God is very clear that not only are deacons to be a part of the plan of his church, they are to meet his qualifications for doing so. 
And again, I think the Acts chapter 6 passage and the prototype there of how those men were chosen and served serves as a great uh, insight to what deacons are supposed to be and how they're to function. And so let's look now at what Paul says under inspiration of God to Timothy there as he's pastoring Ephesus of how, what are deacons supposed to look like? What does God expect of them? If you remember a couple weeks ago, we spent an entire message in the first part of 1 Timothy chapter 3 looking at the qualifications of a pastor. Paul continues from there to talk now about deacons. And in verse 8, Paul talks about the personal character of these men who would serve in this position. Like a pastor, a deacon is a leader in God's church of God's people. He is, a rec- he is in a recognized position of leadership and therefore must be an example for others. Now, this does not mean that pastors and deacons are called to live one way and everybody else in the church can just do whatever you want. Okay, That's not what, what God is saying here. God expects all Christians to live in a way that pleases him. However, he requires those who lead to pay careful attention to themselves and their lives. Leaders for the Lord must exhibit a heart that is right with God. And so verse 8 here contains four requirements, first of all, of personal character. Paul says deacons likewise must be, and the first one is dignified. The idea of the word dignified is reverent, or serious, or even you could translate it as grave. Now, this does not mean that a jovial person cannot be a deacon. You know, this does not mean look, about, look amongst you and find the grumpiest person you can find, and that's your deacon, because bless the Lord, we're here to be serious, okay? It does mean this, that a deacon is one who knows how to handle serious issues. The church is serious business. Because the church is God's work. Doing things God's way requires that we have a serious outlook on lives, on our lives. A deacon then should be a man who is worthy of respect, not one who clowns his way through life. Second, Paul says, not double-tongued. This is a very picturesque word and, and it carries probably what you think it means. It means someone who is not deceitful. It is the idea of saying one thing to one person and something else to another person. A deacon must be an honest man. He says what he means, and he means what he says. He is representing the God of truth. Therefore, he must live and speak truth. Doing the work of the church means working with God's people. And so a deacon must be able to speak truth to all people, representing situations and issues honestly to God's people. It is a great disservice to tell people what you think they want to hear or waffling on what your position is or your answer is to try to please whoever you spoke to last. That's not being truthful and honest. That's just, well, I'll follow the crowd and I'll say whatever will keep people happy. A deacon must speak the truth and hold to that truth. Third, Paul says, not addicted to much wine. A deacon cannot be a man who gives himself, as Paul says here, to the control of alcohol. It is an influential, controlling substance that has no place in his life. Again, 
an understanding of the first century and the way they used wine in that way is an important thing. Wine was mixed with a great amount of water. It was used as a purifying agent, especially in those days. And of course, one could certainly increase the alcoholic content by reducing the water mixed into it. Really, what I'm arguing here, again, is it's not the same today as it was back when Paul wrote this, culturally-wise. As the drinking scene has changed over the years, the stigma and the effect of drinking wine and alcoholic beverages has also changed, and the effects that it has changes. As you consider what God's Word has to say, here again, I believe, just as we talked about with pastors, the best practice seems to be abstinence from alcohol. Deacons are charged with seriously carrying out the work of the Lord. So therefore, they must be given fully to the control of God and not under the other influences in their lives. Fourth, he continues, not greedy for dishonest gain. A deacon cannot be one who will use his position to make money. Think back in Acts chapter 6 when these seven men were chosen to serve the widows. Now, there's a good possibility they were handling money to help those widows. They could not be men who would say, you know, one for you, two for me, one for you, three for me, right? This is not what this position was about. It was about taking the resources of the church and implementing them in that correct place. Today, a lot of times in a lot of churches, ours included, deacons have something to do, at least something to do, with the money and the finances of the church. This is not a position to be used to increase or better one's financial position. They must be trustworthy. They must be honest in the way they handle them. Not taking opportunities to steal and use for their own benefit. They must be then free from a love of money that would compromise their integrity. And so with these four things, Paul has addressed really what I call you know, the personal character. And now he's going to continue in verses 9 through 12 and talk what I call talk about spiritual character. These things are more spiritual in nature in these qualifications. Now, I want to I be clear here that all of these qualifications go back to obeying the Lord and what he says. But these ones in particular come from a proper view of the world as God tells us it is to be. God says, this is what is true, and therefore I'm going to follow. In verse 9, Paul says, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. When we think of the word mystery today, we typically think of, of withheld knowledge. It's a mystery, right? We're trying to figure out what happened. We're reading this book, we're watching this, we're, you know, looking at the crumbs in our kitchen and all the cookies that used to be there. It's a mystery, right? There is knowledge that is withheld. When the scripture, New Testament, speaks about the mystery of, of, of the gospel, the mystery of the faith, the New Testament is talking about truth that has been revealed, not knowledge that is withheld. It is that which was previously hidden but what has been revealed in Jesus Christ. You see, there were things about the gospel, there was the mystery about the faith in Jesus Christ, and in the Old Testament, people didn't know. But Jesus Christ came and fulfilled the law and opened the door to a relationship with God through himself. The mystery of the faith is New Testament revelation. 
The incarnation of Jesus, his indwelling of believers, and the work of God in hearts through the redemption of Jesus make up this mystery. So deacons must be one who must be those who hold to this faith. They not only know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, Paul is saying here, but they also live this out with a clear conscience. It isn't enough to say you merely believe the truth. Paul says if you want to be a deacon, you have to live the truth. A deacon must be known as one who adheres to the word of God. His clear conscience that Paul mentions here in verse 9 is a sign that he is an obedient Christian, that his conscience does not accuse him of wrongdoing. As with pastors, this does not mean that deacons are perfect people, but they should be growing and changing, giving clear evidence with their lives that they are living out the things of God. The ways of God then should hold a primary place in their lives. And obedience to God should be the norm for someone who is a deacon. And when they do disobey God and God convicts them with his word, he uses the word of God, he uses their conscience even to convict them of that, the reaction is, okay, how do I make this right in the way that God says? Being a godly person is not being a perfect person but it is knowing how to handle sin in a godly way. That's part of being a godly individual. When I do wrong, how do I address that? How does God say I address that? Not, how do I bury this so nobody will ever find out about it? Or how do I get out of this? How do I own up to this? How do I make this right? Second, This is someone who is known and tested in the church. He says, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. A man should be tested before he serves in the role of a deacon. Now, the word here for tested is a word that was often used in metallurgy to talk about testing something for its genuineness. Is this really what you say it is? You know, I bring you this gold. We're going to test that and see if that's a genuine item. But also, the way that Paul words this here in the original Greek, it's talking about not a one-time test that is passed or failed. This is not, hey, we're going to bring you in. We're going to ask you the three deacon questions. If you can pass them, then you're in. Okay? This is an ongoing thing in someone's life. Let them be tested. Let their lives prove who they are. He should be evaluated whether or not in his life he reflects godly character. Specifically, what does Paul say? They are to be tested to prove themselves what? Blameless. With nothing that can be called into account in his life. Again, the idea here isn't that a perfect person, but, but when you, like with a pastor, that their life isn't characterized by sin and sinful behavior. It's characterized by that which is godly. It doesn't matter how long someone's been around in a church, how much he knows, if he's an agreeable or likable guy, or if he's known as someone who is God. Uh, I'm sorry, if he is not known as someone who is godly and primarily displays the qualities of a godly man, he doesn't measure up. That's what Paul is saying here. If there is something in his character or spiritual life that gives pause or concern as not being godly, there should be questions that are raised. 
And this test is ongoing even into the life of one who is serving in the capacity as a deacon. It's not this idea of, well, I was on my best behavior and now I became a deacon. Now I can do whatever I want. But it's an ongoing thing that we're growing and changing. Again, how does this man, not perfect, measure up to God's standard of how he is known to other people? Third, Paul now addresses a man's marriage and how it has much to say about his ability to serve in this role. He says, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. God is very clear in the scriptures. The husband is the leader of the home. That's the way he set it forth. Therefore, how a man's wife acts and what she says says much about a man's home life. Paul says a deacon's wife should be dignified. That was, again, the first qualification of a deacon. She cannot be a slanderer that tears other people's down. She must be sober-minded and faithful, able to think through things clearly and trustworthy in these things. And one of the things we have to realize about pastors and deacons alike, that a man's ministry is not limited to just himself. That wives are inextricably linked to their husband's ministry in the church. She can have great influence on him. So she must be able to be trusted with things she may hear or or be asked. She must be able to be godly in how she acts towards others. Many men, pastors and deacons alike, have been hurt in their ministries because of who they married. Don't run out of here screaming, okay? I don't, I'm not laying that at the feet of women, like, well, look what you did, right? I say that as this. Men, young men who are in this room, who you marry matters. And how you lead and disciple your wife matters. Okay? Please put the rocks down, ladies, Okay? We don't approach ministry and life as, a, as, a, as we're married, just, well, it's just my thing. We're in this together. And so how a wife carries herself and what she says and what she does has a great impact on her husband's ministry. How he leads and disciples her, as God says, as how he loves her, as Christ loves the church, has a great impact on the relationship and how he's going to be able to minister. And it's, it is vital and important not, in, in all of life, young men especially, as you, as you prepare for marriage, and women, young ladies, as you prepare for what God has you in your life, you need to be intentional and purposeful about the mate you choose and follow God's will in your life for that. Because we are, as married, as married people, we are a team called to minister together wherever God has placed us. So therefore, the expectation on a deacon is that he is also called then to be the husband of one wife. Now, this is the same wording that is used for pastors in verse 2 of this chapter. If you remember back to that, it talks about being a one-woman man. And again, I would make it clear that it's not one woman at a time. But it's someone who is faithful, 
to his wife alone in all things, whether it be physically or mentally. And I would say, again, I would say here that whatever your stance you take on pastors and divorce, you have to apply that here as the Greek text does not change. And I've seen that sometimes. We, we say, well, you know, for pastors it's this, for deacons it's this. Whatever the script, whatever you come down on one, you have to apply to the other. That's the application of the Greek text. The original words that God has sent. Again, I would take this statement and the balance of Scripture's teaching to mean that with perhaps rare exception, a deacon should not be divorced. And lastly, Paul addresses here at the end of verse 12, he talks about managing your own household well. A deacon's home life must be in order. He will be assisting with the work of managing the church. He must manage his own children and his household well. He must be a leader to his children. He must exhibit the qualities of a godly husband and father. He must be one who manages everything in his home in a godly way. And again, there is no toleration here of one who is one thing before outsiders and something else entirely in the confines of his own home. I I made that point very clear to pastors. It's, It's true again here with deacons. If you are managing your home in an ungodly way and putting on a show of godliness in front of others, you are living in an ungodly way. I saw a pastor share something this week that had a huge impact and, and meant, I was I, I like, yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about here. And that was this. If you want to know what kind of pastor I am, ask the people in my church. If you want to know what kind of Christian I am, ask my family. And that's the same thing. It's true. What a person is in their home is who they are. That's their character. It's revealed. And so we can't separate those two. Paul says, you know, if you can't manage your, and lead your home in a godly manner, you're unfit to be in the leadership of God's church. And so with these qualifications, though, Paul then lastly says that there's a great benefit and a blessing to, to serving the Lord in this way. There's honor for such men in verse 13. He says, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. God says that, that those who meet these qualifications and serve well in their role will be rewarded. And as, as always, God is the one who rewards his faithful servants. He says that these men gain a good standing for their faithful service. The, the idea is that they're to be held up with honor. Now this is not that they should become prideful and look down on other people. But instead, God says he is exalting them for their work for the kingdom. Faithful service to God is to be recognized and rewarded, and God is the primary rewarder of such men. Secondly, though, Paul says that these men find great spiritual benefit to their lives. He says they, they, they gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. When they serve faithfully in the way that God has called, they gain confidence in the faith. Their faith is built up by their service to the Lord. When you put yourself out there to serve the Lord, he uses that in a way to strengthen your faith and your relationship with him. They also build up the faith of others through their humble service to the church. Again, I would take you back to Acts chapter 6 and look how those men served in that very tough situation. 
And what happened in verse 7? The work of the gospel continued to go forth. I would argue it has a lot to do with the way those godly men carried out the things that God had given them to do. There was great confidence there in the faith. Faithfulness to God gives confidence in the things of God to the servant and those who are served and observed. And serving the Lord is rewarding and does great things for your spiritual life and others' spiritual lives. And sometimes I think, you know, we we say, yeah, I'd I'd like to do this or that. I'd like to serve to God in this way or serve him in that way, but I'm just not sure. The answer is, I would tell you, go do it. Go serve the Lord in humbleness, in dependence on him, and he'll bless you for it. And he'll grow you in your faith. We used to, every year, take kids on mission trips, teens on mission trips. And one of the things that we would always say is, the goal of this trip is to take you outside your comfort zone. Sometimes you're outside your comfort zone because you are, you're in a, a country where you don't know the language. Uh, you're eating different food, right? You're, sometimes you're in a, outside your comfort zone because you're actually being asked to you know, talk to people, right? And every time you go outside your comfort zone and do these things for the Lord, right? You're not just, well, because I want to be a better person or this. I want to serve the Lord. There's a blessing there. Something that God does to grow and change you. In the same way, God blesses and grows and gives confidence to those who will be faithful in the office of deacon. So, lastly today, what do we do with this? What do we do with the picture of the service in the early church? What do we do with the qualifications of deacons? And let's bring it down to this last point today. What are the expectations for deacons in the church today? There are three that I have identified here. Number one, they are to serve the church. We'll take the case here in Acts 6, as well as the qualifications just listed to make the case for these expectations. And we begin with the word itself to help us understand what deacons are expected to do. The Greek words, there's a couple of them in the New Testament that are related, from which deacon derives, carries the idea of serving or service. And these words are used about a hundred times in the New Testament. Now, on just a fraction of those times, are they translated deacon? Philippians chapter 1 in 1 Timothy chapter 3. The other times, though, they're talking about serving and service, such as in Acts 6, serving tables. Foundationally, then, we understand that deacons are called to serve the church. The men appointed in Acts 6 quite literally serve the people through the distribution of the assistance to the widows. Deacons are to be servants in the church, helping to meet the needs of the people there in the church. They assist the pastor or the pastors of a church in practical ways, advancing the mission of the church and really helping to implement then the preaching and teaching of the pastor through the way that they serve. So therefore, I think when you say, when you make this statement, this foundational statement that deacons are servants, I think there's some things that you should also say deacons are not. And the first thing I think we should make clear, deacons then are not a governing board. They don't run the church. They don't impose their will upon the congregation. And if a man says, you know, I really want to be a deacon because I want to be in control of the church, then you don't really understand what the role of a deacon is. They're not royalty. Just as a pastor should be approachable and open to the people of the flock, so should a deacon. 
He is there to help and to serve. He should be there that you can go to, one that you can go to with for needs that you have needs and concerns. And if a man thinks that that adding that being a deacon will add a feather to his cap, and I'll be you know in the upper echelons of the church, he's not yet fit to be a deacon. I say yet, yeah, right? Because a man can, you can grow and change. It's not like, yeah, yeah, you missed out this time. Thanks for playing. You know, go serve in something else. You know. That's not what we're saying. You can grow and you can change into these things. So they're not a governing board. They're not royalty in the church. But, but number three, I think I should also make it clear, deacons are not errand boys either, by the way. Okay. Deacons are partners in ministry with the pastor and the flock. You know, a deacon isn't like the pastor sits down in his office and goes, what are the things I don't want to do? I'm just going to unload those on the deacons. That's not how deacons function. They will bear, yes, very practical assignments to help the pastor in his work of the church, but they're not just the gophers of the church. They exist to serve the church. So what does that mean? By the way, that means this, that a pastor, as his, in his role as a pastor, it is his duty to, to, to these men and to the church to help them grow in the Lord and their service of him in the church. It is a pastor's duty to disciple these men, to help them to lead God's people. A deacon's primary role then is to serve, and that can be in various capacities. It may be in very practical needs and overseeing projects and aspects of the church. It may be helping with personal interactions and more. So they are, first of all, to serve the church. Number two, what is the expectations of the deacons? Number two, then they are to support the church. As one who serves the church, a deacon should be one who is faithful in his support of the local church. He should be very basically a faithful attender of the services of the church. A deacon should not be one who is known as someone who doesn't make it a habit to be faithful in church. He should not be one who says, well, I have, I have some duties, I gotta be, so I'm required to be there. He should be one who desires to be and is faithful in the services of church. You cannot serve the church if you do not love the church. And you cannot love the church if you are not a regular part of the church. He must be a supporter of God's ministry. He must be a supporter of the people. He needs to know God's people. He needs to be engaged with the pastor who is a God's appointed leader of that church. And so, and also in this, you know, there are times when deacons or, you know, deacons and deacons or deacons and pastors don't always agree. Again, because we're people, right? And we see things from different perspective and different life experience or just have opinions, right? It is impossible for a, people, for a room of people to always agree about everything. And so groups such as deacons and pastors must have a way in which things function and work within, within that relationship. At the end of a discussion when a decision has to be made, we have to be able to support one another and the mission of the church, even if my ideas weren't the ones that were implemented. We have to be willing to say, you know what, we've disagreed, but I'm going to back this up because I'm here to support the church. As long as it's not unbiblical, right, and ungodly. We're talking about, obviously, matters of opinion or practice sometimes. 
His demeanor and life should support the work of the church as was clearly demonstrated in God's qualifications. It does no good for something to happen in a church and a deacon to go around and say to people, well, I mean, I told them it wouldn't work, but they wouldn't listen to me. You know? That's going to create great dissension, right? His testimony must be that which promotes the work of God in the community. Because again, a deacon is not called to be one thing in a church and another thing in the community. As with any Christian, the whole of his character and his actions are in view. We don't get to pick and choose the things that we submit to God. Well, God, I'm going to give you this and this part of my life and this, this time and this, but, but the rest of it's mine. That's not how we get to live our lives, right? Because again, we are called to serve the kingdom of God. Lastly, what are expectations of deacons? They're expected to be spiritual leaders. What do we mean by that? That they are seeking with their lives to lead others that are in their lives closer to the Lord. I had this conversation with my son in the last couple of weeks. I will have it a bajillion times with him because he's my son and he can't get away from it. And that is this. I said, Caleb, there are two types of people in the world. There are leaders and there are followers. I said, and you need to be a leader. Not because your dad's me, but because this is what God says to do. You need to step up and lead. God has called on deacons to be leaders for him. They are willing to do what is right and godly, even when no one else will, and no matter what it will cost them. And again, being a knowledgeable guy, an experienced man, a likable guy, a man who's been in the church a long time, a guy who has good ideas and more, those are all well and good things. Those are commendable qualities in a man. But if a man is not known as a spiritual leader, he is not carrying out the definition of what it means to be a deacon. A pastor relies on these men to serve the church in a godly manner, and he also should rely on them for practical discernment for the things of the church. And again, spiritual leadership works out in different practical ways. You know, there are some men, there are some leaders, right? Spiritual leaders who are very outspoken. They're very, you know, um, uh, easy to to say something. Hey, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Okay, you know anybody like that? Okay. They just always, you know, and we, we sometimes we get this idea that if you're not, you know, the guy who stand up saying something, you can't be a leader. You know, some of the most powerful leaders I've known are very quiet people. They lead in a different way. And maybe they don't stand up and say something, maybe this or that every time, but, the, but you know this, they're always going to do what's right. Because they're, they're going to seek to follow the Lord. The definition of being a leader doesn't mean you have to fit certain you know, gregarious, persuasive um, qualifications, it does mean you, you, you're seeking to follow God in what you say and do. The common denominator is this, a love for and a commitment to the things of God. God has appointed deacons for the service of the church and the advance of his kingdom, and he continues to call men to this important work today. Deacons are a vital part of the church's mission here on earth. Their role to serve alongside pastors to help God's people and to reach the lost is ordained by the Lord. Therefore, it is a noble and serious thing for a man to open himself up to the service of this office. And such a man must evaluate himself before the Lord and continue to take an honest, humble stock of his life as he serves in this role. 
it is a high honor to be used by the Lord in service to his kingdom. And as a pastor, I am thankful for the deacons that God has given to our church. And I would ask for you to pray with me for these men as they carry out God's work. At the same time, I would also appeal to the men of this church to pray about being used in such a way. Maybe you're an adult and you you say, well, I don't know. I've never thought about would I be able to serve as a deacon. I I just pray about it. That's that's a noble thing. To if you fit fit the qualifications of what God says, then I should you know you should think about that. Young men in this in this room, make that a hey. One day I want to serve in that way. Maybe and again maybe God's calling you to be a pastor. Again, it goes back to this as well. Looking ahead to what God has, we need to open our hearts and lives to the Lord and cultivate a relationship with Him and His Word that will allow you to be used in such a way. As we close today, I want to say this, that I speak for all of those who are in the leadership of our church when I say this, we are here to serve and help you. We want to come alongside you and help you in your life and your walk with the Lord. And so whether it be myself as a pastor or these men who serve as our deacons, please do not hesitate to reach out with anything you may need or whatever's on your heart. May the Lord be glorified in this place, beginning with leaders who are submitted to him. Father, thank you for the day you've given us to be in the house of God. Thank you for the word of God and its power to change our lives through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And we ask that today you would use your word in our hearts. Lord, we want to be a church, a Beaverton Baptist church that honors and glorifies God. We want to uh, be a church that is known for living out the gospel. We want to be a church that is known uh, not for just being engaged in social causes or this or that, but is engaged in giving the light to a dark world. Lord, may that begin with the leadership of our church, with me as a pastor, with our men that serve as deacons, as, as deacons who serve, and our godly men who support our church. Lord, may you use the leadership here in a very powerful way. May we just be used however you see fit through your grace. Lord, we ask that you would be with us as we close out our service today. May you continue to do your work in our hearts. May you be honored and glorified and lifted up and bring us back to worship you here tonight. In your name we pray. Amen.